Now what will it be? Death or exile? Welcome to another special edition of Film Exiles podcast. My name is Lou Pei. Today we have a roundtable discussion of our favorite directors. We thought that this would be like a really good opportunity for you guys to get to know us, to get to know our tastes, and also for us to share some knowledge. I'm happy to be joined by my luminary crew, uh, Adrian. Hi, Lupe. Hi, guys. Hey, Manu. How's everybody doing? We're doing good. What's up? I'm good, man. I'm good. And finally, we have the super villain himself, the toxic doctor. Hello there. When did he reach well, super villain status? Hey, yo, when you closed your eyes and slept, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sleep with one eye open. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the main the main uh let's start with basics what is a film director adrian how would you uh describe a film director okay well i would describe a film director as sort of a conductor of an orchestra where he or she brings together all the elements and all the talents into one unifying piece that is perfect chris could you give us like some historical context and a little bit of background on how the role of the director has evolved in Hollywood over the years. Wow, so yeah, um, back in the olden days, old Hollywood, you had directors that were more of a hired hand. They would be brought on by producers and studios who were the real, um, the, the ones who really ran the show here in Hollywood back then. Then you kind of go through to the more modern era, like when I was growing up, you always had film stars, right? You had, for example, Tom Cruise, you had Leonardo DiCaprio, you had Brad Pitt, Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro even going back further, Mel Gibson. The draw was the actor. Mm -hmm. But today, I think the era of the movie star has largely waned. It's not completely expired because you have the likes of The Rock, um, and you still have Tom Cruise running around <laughs> doing crazy mm -hmm. shit. But really the draw of a film now is to what director's name is attached to a film. So now you you will see, um, you know, you have a Christopher Nolan film, or you have a Zack Snyder film, or you'll see a Scorsese film. Like When you see a name like that attached to a film, you're more likely to go rather than uh, a particular actor. So I would say that that has been the evolution kind of of a, of a director. They went from being hired hands to the star of the show. That's absolutely true. And that's why this discussion is very relevant and I think is very interesting. Um, now, before we talk about going to our favorite directors, we have to talk about the types of directors. Now, there are generally two types of directors. There is the general director, and then there is the auteur director. 
So the auteur director is a special kind of director. They are distinguished by having an, author an authorial imprint on all the aspects of the film. So a film directed by an auteur will show an artistic signature that differentiates them from other filmmakers. A recognizable style, themes, and motifs that recur throughout their entire uh, portfolio of films. Auteur, the term is usually associated with prestige filmmakers, but in reality, it's not exclusively that even blockbuster uh, directors can be auteur uh, filmmakers. Manu, could you give us some examples of uh, auteur filmmakers and be sure to include some blockbuster filmmakers as well? Well, uh, I'm really glad that you brought up that point about uh, uh, film author filmmakers uh, always seeming to think that they're uh, prestige uh, films, but like you said, a lot of them are blockbuster directors. I think that the best example is Michael Bay. Uh, I think that he is really underrated as a director. A lot of people see, a lot of people see him as just somebody who just blows things up, uh, and it's true. Michael Bay blows things up, <laughs> <laughs> but he he has he brings his own style and signature to it. Like when you see a Michael Bay explosion, you know it's a Michael Bay explosion. True. And and his style goes beyond that. Is the way that he moves the camera. It's the way that is the uh, heroic posture that he puts his actors in. It's, uh, uh, he has this famous uh, coined term, a bayhem, which is when bayhem. the camera freezes and we kind of pan around in a 360 degree, uh, in 360 degrees and seeing all of the destruction and everything that's going on. And, and I think that uh, that takes mastery of one's style and one's own uh, filmmaking sensibilities to be able to pull that off and to make it so easily recognizable from movie to movie to movie. So when you see a Michael Bay movie, you know you're watching a Michael Bay movie. Uh, and there's other directors that have the same touch. Uh, you have people like Quentin Tarantino. Uh, him, uh, you always know that you're going to be getting very quick, witty, smart dialogue all the time, along with his over-the-top, excessive even at times excessive violence um you have people like uh nicholas waden reffin uh woody allen wes anderson uh who is very methodical uh methodical uh he's very slow in his storytelling he takes the time to like fully um uh to fully show the character uh and uh, you know as slowly as the movie goes by you don't get like everything about the character right away like that comes as the movie comes uh the further the movie goes along um you uh francis ford coppola terence malik uh and darren aronofsky is is also uh, a director that 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 has um the, the the title of auteur given to him because uh, when you're watching an Aronofsky film, you know. When you're watching uh, the Black Swan, uh, the Black Swan with Natalie Portman, or when you're watching uh, Mother, uh, that came out uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Jennifer mm -hmm. Lawrence, you know you're mm -hmm. watching an Aronofsky film. They, their, their style is unmistakable. Yeah. Well, I mean that's that's very well said. I think the main thing to to remember about auteur directors is just that it's a director that has a, a particular style, a recognizable style. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Um, and and you have, you know, explained that like really well. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get into the main event. It's the main event of the evening. Ding, ding, ding. So we are going to go in roundtable fashion, turn by turn, 
picking our favorite directors. Now, if a particular director has been picked, they're off the board and you cannot pick them. You must pick another director. So I encourage you guys to tell us uh, why you like these directors and give us some examples of films that they've uh, directed that you like. And even you could go as far as telling us their impact on the film industry in general or any directors that influence them. Go as deep as you want to, go as light as you want to. So we are going to start with Chris. Chris, take the floor. Sorry, guys, I've taken the best one. Oh, no. Christopher Nolan, <laughs> my favorite director. Um, he is the director that made me fall in love with film. Okay. Um, with Actually, with Inception. However, going through his um, previous uh, filmography, since then, I, you know, I failed to find a single film that um, he has not, that he's not created um, expertly. Even going to his first feature, which is Memento, I mean, for someone to come out with that as their first film, I think it's, it's truly stunning. Every the, One of the particular traits of Nolan that I, I admire and I really love is how he plays with time. So discounting his uh, Batman trilogy, almost all of his films play with time. So you have Memento, which uh, provides a kind of a forward and a backward story running concurrently, um, merging at the center, and then he uses his color and black and white for the different kind of time periods. Um, but he also uses, so for example, in Insomnia, he kind of plays with a lack of sleep and how that affects how that affects the, perception the, the, the perception of time. And then you've got Inception, of course, where you where time is stretched as, the, as you go deeper and deeper into the dream. Interstellar, so you, got, you play with the space-time continuum going to uh, supermassive planets. And then you have uh, Dunkirk, his latest uh, film, where he gives us three stories uh, running in parallel. However, one is a short story, one is a medium-length story, and one is a very long story, and they all meet at the uh, at the culmination. So I think the way he... That's, that's the thing that I, I love most about him. I, I'm actually a... Uh, my first love as a as a child growing up was uh, science, uh, specifically physics, and I love time. My favorite superhero, for example, is the Flash, mm-hmm. and how he plays with time in the Speed Force. So there was always that personal attraction to time, and Christopher Nolan got that for me. Okay. So that's why he's my favorite. All right. So Christopher Nolan is off the board. Manu, the ball is in your court. You can't mention Christopher Nolan. Um, although I think that you were going to, <laughs> I actually was not. I I, I knew that. Really? I knew that. Fire, I, I mean, he would have been, but I knew that somebody else was going to use him, so I just didn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> I came <right>. prepared. <laughs> I came prepared because I know my I know my uh, my fellow exiles. Um, uh, I am going to bring up uh, David Fincher. Um, uh, David Fincher is. A beast. There's, there's like, there's, there's very few words to probably describe 
how amazing that man is. I think that if you look at his uh, filmography from from Seven, uh, Gone Girl, the the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, Zodiac, uh, the Social Network, uh, he he's so great at telling very human stories in the midst of of insane uh, situations. Um, I, uh, in Seven, you get to see the darkness of uh, of the human mind and the human spirit, uh, and and that's something that that's a theme that keeps popping up in all of his films, even in Gone Girl. You can see just how bad people can be when they're pushed against the wall. Uh, my favorite film from him is The Social Network that I've actually watched three times last week. Uh, I watched it because it was his birthday and I watched it one time. And I haven't seen this movie at least almost six or seven times before. But uh, I, I just caught on to things that I had never seen before. And that made me want to revisit the movie even deeper. And I think that when a filmmaker is capable of doing that, that even time and time again, after you've seen this film, you can keep going back to that well and picking up other details that enhance the story. Or it, it can be like small character moments, like uh, like Andrew Garfield's character walking into the apartment and picking up two beers. And, uh, and meanwhile, uh, Eisenberg comes and just picks one for himself. And in that moment, you're, you're given a quick snapshot of that relationship, of how those two uh, communicate and what kind of people they are, simply in, in that moment. And Fincher is so good at doing that. All also, whenever he shows you a room, he makes sure that you can see the entire room and there's so much detail about who the characters are, what's important to them and what their motivations are that it's hard for you not to like move your eye all over the screen to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And, and I think that directors like that uh, reward the audience for paying attention to detail and for keeping to and to keep coming back and watching their films over and over again. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an excellent one. Uh, I love David Fincher. If you didn't pick David Fincher, he's one that was definitely going to be going to be on my list. Um, I think he, I think he's really a special director because although he is an auteur director, he has made different types of movies. So he's you know really well known for his you know noir films for psychological thrillers. But he's also done, like you said, the social network. He's also he also did um, Benjamin Button, and that's like a sweeping sort of epic romantic tale. Like that's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. So David Fincher is a really good one that you brought up. Uh, so Adrian, you can't pick Christopher Nolan. You cannot pick David Fincher. The ball is in your court. Who are you going to pick? Okay, well, no surprise. I'm going to pick Zack Snyder. Yay. And, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I gonna say Zack Snyder because it was actually Zack Snyder and uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. They even got me really caring or paying attention to um, what a director was doing with a film. Um, and I mean, depending on what moment you get me, whether you want to argue whether Man of Steel is more of a masterpiece than Batman v Superman, I will agree with you both times. So <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to set all of that aside because I absolutely love that. And maybe we've gone over then over and over that um, a lot. So I wanted to talk about 300. I actually didn't see 300 until after I saw um, BVS. And, um, I had thought like when it was advertised, I just thought it was like just another Hollywood film, like war film. And maybe it was like bloody and kind of gory. And I wouldn't really be that interested in it. I just sort of thought it'd be like a face value kind of thing. Well, boy, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> when I saw it, 
I, I mean, like you're just in awe and you're just like, you know, what am I even, what am I even watching? And I just remember being so gripped. It's like you get into the film and then you don't realize that you're watching a film until it's over. And then you sort of come out of it. So I know that he gets criticized. We're talking about auteurs have a certain style, but the style that Zach had with the, um, uh, with the, the lighting and, um, the slow-mo and all of that, I thought it gave weight to the life and death sacrifice that these men were giving, you know, weight and depth and drama, emotion, like as you're watching it, I think it lets you feel all of that emotion. So it's not just like style for its own sake. I hate it when anybody says that. So um, I'll leave it at that. Amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. Those are three directors that actually were on my list. If you guys hadn't mentioned <laughs> either one of those, I would have picked it. You see, this is why it's bad to be a gentleman and be like, all right, right, you guys go, go, go ahead and I'll go last. <laughs> Next time I'm going to go first. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. All right. But with that being said, uh, the director that I'm going to, that I'm going to put forward is uh, Guy Ritchie. Mm. Guy Ritchie, yes. Now, Guy Ritchie is a, he is the poster boy, the epitome, the definition of an auteur director. Now, you will have to forgive him for Aladdin, which was... <laughs> uh, some studio. of us like Aladdin, bro. I'm not saying Aladdin <laughs> is good or not. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. What, I'm, for me. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the Aladdin live action movie is not a uh, signature Guy Ritchie movie. Right. It's not a movie that's um, in his style and in his image. Now, if you want to talk about movies that really express who Guy Ritchie is, obviously, Snatch is like classic. Obviously, um, you got the, yeah, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. You got to think of um, his spy movie, The Man from Uncle. Yes. That's amazing. And mm -hmm. you really surprised me with a King Arthur Legend of the Sword. That was actually the film that really like boosted him to like my favorite like directors. I'm a huge fan of mythologies. I'm a huge fan of fantasy. I'm a huge fan of epic filmmaking. And uh, in, with that film, Guy Ritchie was able to take his signature style, which has a lot to do with sort of like he has this snappy dialogue, quick cuts, uh, very fluid action, dynamic camera movements. Title sequences title are sequences, always amazing. Montages, like he is so good at that stuff. And every film he makes, he makes it like, apart from just the, the interesting story you go through, the dynamic way in which he edits and his dialogue, you know, moves along is just like really interesting to see. It has a rhythm to it, even like his Sherlock Holmes film. So yeah. I'd say like a, a really good term to use is he's a very rhythmic kind of filmmaker, very dynamic and rhythmic. And um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Anything that he's going to make, I am there for it. So, so far we have... Uh, Christopher Nolan from Chris. We have um, David Fincher from Manu. Uh, we have Zack Snyder from Adrian. Uh, and we have Guy Ritchie from me. So let's go back to Chris. Chris, you have the first uh, pick in the second round. Yeah. Who is your director? Well, my 
second pick has been taken and it would have been Zack Snyder. Ah. So <laughs> my third pick and probably one one of the best directors and most underrated directors, Clint Eastwood. I think for me, Clint Eastwood is in my has always been in my top five directors. Um, and as the years pass, he he gets higher and higher on that list. Um, so one of the things that really attracted me to Clint Eastwood's style of directing is how he manages to make the small feel grand and how he makes the grand feel intimate. And, and he always walks a tightrope. So, for example, um, we can talk about Invictus or even um, the Million Dollar Baby. Both of these surround sport and huge events like a world title, a boxing world title fight or a World Cup rugby final. These are huge events, but he makes them, he makes them feel so intimate. Um, the same can be said for The Mule, which came out last year. It's such a small story. It's about an old man <laughs> running drugs because he's he's running out of money and he wants to save his house. But then he, 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 he looks into greed and into, you know, how this old man with nothing became super greedy. He didn't know when to stop. So it's just a very small story, but he makes it, the way he makes it feel so big is, is incredible. I was watching Million Dollar Baby again last night. And what, what impressed me is that he actually did the score for that. Really? And again, yeah. And, and the score for that is so simple, but beautiful. And you can listen to that um, piano play and it, and it it does what his films do. It's such a very simple melody, mm -hmm. but when you close your eyes and listen to it, it makes you travel mm -hmm. and it makes you think of the possibilities and you know what you can achieve. And that's what his films do. It makes the small big and the big small. And it's just he's just a wonderful director. One thing he doesn't really do is write his own films. He 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 picks very good scripts. So a lot of people say the, the best directors are usually writer directors. Um, I think Clint Eastwood is an exception to that rule. I think he's one of the best directors we will ever see. All right. That's a good one. Okay. Um, Clint Eastwood, definitely a legend in, in Hollywood. Um, he's a direct, he's one of the directors that has a, uh, a first look deal which is basically like an exclusivity contract and he has one with warner brothers and you don't get one of those if you're a regular director and he's had that for ages and warner brothers will never ever let him go and that's one of the most prestigious you can um, go through his filmography going all the way back to you know even mystic river in the early 2000s that's when i think he, he took off mystic river million dollar baby and then he just it, it dies unstoppable all right so next up, uh, Manu, with the with your second pick in the second round, what director are you going to pick? Uh, well, um, in the like late eighties and early nineties, there was um, there was a a run of uh, African American films, films like Juice, uh, films like uh, Boys in the Hood, 
yeah. films that de depicted uh, a certain type of uh, the reality of the African-American experience in America. And then uh, later on in the 90s, uh, we got a shift. We saw more movies that brought uh, African-Americans in a more positive light. Films like uh, Love Jones, films mm -hmm. like uh, Love and Basketball. Uh, those films kind of showed that uh, African-Americans uh, live lives and loved and, and had uh, hopes and dreams like everybody else in America did. Uh, and one of the directors that was part of this shift was uh, Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, he... Uh, he was actually born in Nigeria. Actually, no, I don't think he was born in Nigeria. I think he's he's originally from Nigeria, but he grew up in Compton. And uh, his first film was The Woods, starring Mike Epps, uh, Tay Diggs. And uh, that, I was I saw that film the year that it came out, and it struck such a chord with me because so many of the things that Mike was facing in that movie, Mike is the lead in that film, uh, really uh, felt like a lot of things that I was dealing with. You know, I was always moving around and I was always trying to have to make new friends and start over at new schools. And and uh, Rick went through the same thing as well. And he depicted that so well in this movie, uh, along with uh, introducing us to like these great characters that were so interesting and lived this life that was so different from mine. But I felt like I could still relate to them. And and that's what he's so good at. It's making you relate to these people in an environment that you know nothing about. Taking you to to Compton in the late 80s where uh, there's the gang war between the Crips and the Bloods. But in the middle of it is just a kid that's trying to go to a school dance. It's a kid that's trying to lose his virginity. It's a kid that's that's trying to to get to college, that's trying to get a job, mm -hmm. that's trying to get married. And, 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 and the fact that he's capable of doing that uh, is, is uh, I think, is a remarkable quality quality for a director uh, a couple of years ago he came out with uh, with a uh, dope uh, which was about yeah, this uh, dope which is uh, I think such a great step up from from uh, the wood that came out in 98 but it still held those same uh, themes of growing up in this hard place and still trying to be a normal person and uh, and dope is such a great story and it's so beautifully directed and acted and so funny and charming and, and I think that he, he really has a good grasp of character and of, of the importance of showing that, you know, we're all people, you know, that we all want the same things, that we all have the same desires, regardless of where we come from or, or who we are. Uh, one thing that I love is that in the wood, there's an auxiliary character named Stacy, who is a gangbanger who works for, uh, he's a gangbanger, I think he's a blood uh, and uh, we get to see him again in Dope, the same character, oh, played by the same right. actor, uh, played by the same actor, uh, and now he is a security guard at the school. Where at the school. Mm -hmm. So, and I just thought that that was such a beautiful, wonderful touch, and that you know it's a uh, Rick Famuyiwa connected universe that we get. So, <laughs> and and I just I just really love this director, and I really hope that you know he gets to bust out on the blockbuster stage because he really really does deserve it. Uh, yeah, yes, he's, he he's, he's really, he's uh, another, he did also Brown Sugar, which I love, which is such an underrated mm -hmm. love story. Uh, and, and one yeah. thing that he does beautifully as well in all of these movies is the way that he implements uh, hip hop music into these stories. Like, and I think Brown Sugar is such a beautiful example of that. Brown Sugar is the love of this girl that falls in love with this boy at the same time as she's falling in love with hip hop. And the her relationship with him kind of uh, mirrors her relationship with hip hop. It's just 
just and and he just does it so flawlessly like he's he's really has has he's he's very gifted and i i really hope that you know he he gets to blow up the way that i think he deserves wow I I think I'm gonna change my favorite director to Rick. <laughs> Dude, that was such a. Pa- Are you sure that you're not like on Rifami was like PR staff or something? Dude, I wish I I wish I could be man. That guy is a beast, man. I'm just like he's no, beast. but to keep to keep it real, Rifami was an amazing director. Like if you haven't seen Dope, go see that movie. A lot of people don't know it's one of the best coming-of-age stories in the last decade. I'll probably put it up there as the best. Like, And he's such a crafty filmmaker. He understands film. He understands story. He understands character. He understands the technical aspects of it. Like, I, I echo every single thing you said. You know, I'm, I'm 100% behind it. So, uh, Adrian, the pressure is on you now. We just got, mm-hmm. like, a, a huge, passionate speech. Uh, that deserves an eight-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival <laughs> from Manu. So with the with your second pick in the second round, who do you select? Okay, well, I'll go much lighter, but it's hard to follow, you know, uh, the man who brought Watchmen to screen. So there's quite a gap between my one and two. But um, I wanted to mention Kenneth Branagh, oh, who yes, directed yes, yes, Cinderella yes. and Murder on the Orient Express. Now, having him have done Shakespeare and been an actor, I see that reflected in his directing, in um, his, you know, in casting. Like in Cinderella, he got Kate Blanchett to be um, the stepmother and he got Johnny Depp in Murder on the Orient Express. I think both movies are beautiful um, as far as the set design and costume. So it's like I just want to go wherever they are. And um, I thought with Cinderella, which could have been done um, kind of uh, where they made fun of it or whatever, but he just went full fantasy on it. And we're, um, how do I explain? Like, I think he brought a whimsical element to the story without it being cheesy or sentimental. It wasn't self-aware or anything. And then there were a few things that he did with the camera that I thought were really interesting. Like when... um, the, you know, it's getting toward midnight and the spell was going to be undone. There's sort of this topsy-turvy thing that he does with the mm-hmm. camera and everything yeah. starts going crazy and stuff. So um, so I think that there's, you know, there's a charm and there's drama and the villains get a chance to shine, just like I think you would see in a Shakespearean play. So I think you see that in those films. And, and you didn't even mention Manu's favorite part of Cinderella, which is the 380, <laughs> de- sorry, sorry, Manu, 360 degree uh, shot of when they're, when they're doing the ballroom dance. I'm yes, yeah. and, and then the dress changing too, yes. I'm actually more upset she didn't mention his work in Thor. I think that he, <laughs> he did a great job on yes. the first Thor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I uh, like it. Yeah, I, I think, I think, you 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 raise a good point about his theater background because one thing that's particular about people who work in theater is um, because it's it's stage and they don't have the same uh, assets that films do. Sets and set dressing tends to be very elaborate and very crafty, and in every single Kenneth Branagh movie, you can see that. Yes, in Thor. 
the set design, the production design, very elaborate, intense craftsmanship, very beautiful. Same thing with Cinderella, same thing with uh, Burger on the Orient Express. So that's a really, that's a really, really, really good uh, one that you've, you've selected there. So my turn, I'm going to go with a director who is very popular, who has gone through ups and downs, but through every single turn in his career, he has always been dear to my heart. M. Night Shyamalan. Mm, yes. yes. M. Night Shyamalan is the director of Sixth Sense, director of Signs, the director of The Village, the director of Unbreakable, the director of Glass. Uh, he's done so many movies, including you know, films like Lady of the of the Water and The Last Airbender, which people didn't really enjoy. He is definitely an auteur director in that his films that tend to be more successful are films that are made in his particular style. Whenever he's tried to go out and do like some sort of like a blockbuster type of movie, it's not gone so well, in my opinion, at least. Um, Obviously, we know him for his twist endings. We know him for his, you know, mystery thriller films. Um, and in case you didn't know, The Sixth Sense is my favorite film of all time. It's tied with The Matrix as my all-time favorite film. And if you just go and listen to um, his uh, behind-the-scenes commentaries and stuff like that, this is a guy that's very crafty. He knows film inside out in his films there's a lot of symbolism using like colors and objects to run motifs and you know you know relay subliminal messages throughout film um he does a lot in terms of structure and tailoring the structure in very creative ways that you may not notice uh Unbreakable is a masterpiece, one of the best comic book movies of all time. And I'll never forget when that film first came out, it didn't get the best uh, reviews. The reviews were actually mixed and quite negative, even though a lot of people now will tell you that they like it. Uh, when it came out, I remember not really getting into arguments with people, but really, you know, trying to tell people that it's a great film. I had that film on VHS tape and I watched it so much I wore it out. It is an amazing film because if you're a fan of comic book movies that was like a dream and one thing I tell people is that even before Christopher Nolan he was the first person to do a realistic superhero movie and a lot of people like don't give him credit for that but he was the first person to do a if a superhero was in the real world how would this mythology translate to our real world even before christopher nolan did it uh so i'm i'm very very um proud to have him on my list he's someone who will always be one of my favorite directors um and i can't wait for his next film project and he's he's well known for his twists and you mentioned that but i don't think you can overstate how important his twists are yeah. in cinema because like we We've come up with phrases like a Hitchcockian kind of um, finale. Mm -hmm. He has owned that the, the, the Shyamalan twist. Yeah. Like that is going to be, the, a twist in a film is going to be known as Shyamalan like in From the future. Now on, yes. Yeah. Like yeah. it is uh, elite level um, filmmaking, what he has done with the twist. And it will be forever associated with him. With him. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the second round, we had um, Chris pick uh, Clint, Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. We had Manu pick Rick Famuyiwa and Adrian blessed us with Kenneth Brana and I picked M. Night Shyamalan. So now we're going to the third and final round. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> keep your gloves above the waist. Play nice, don't play dirty. Protect, and let's yourselves, at all protect yourselves at all time and let's get it on. So we'll start with Chris. Chris, right. who is your third pick in third round? I'm torn because I'm shocked nobody else took one of my remaining picks. I won't pick Martin Scorsese, even though he is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Who I will pick is Oliver Stone. Mm. Oliver Stone has always been one of my favorite filmmakers, particularly his takes on uh, right-wing America. So um, his political views align very well with mine. Mm -hmm. So going back to Platoon, um, his take on the Vietnam War um, is very important. Um, unafraid to tell the harsh and dirty truths of that um, of that war. Then you go to the Doors, one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, going through Nixon, and then you have films like Comandante, which is a documentary on Fidel Castro. Um, his attack on on um, on Wall Street uh, twice, talking about the greed of capitalism, and um, then he he kind of flips it every now and then with a film like Alexander, which wasn't particularly great in my my opinion, but it was it was him trying something different. Um, but his wheelhouse is definitely political, and we see that today with. Um, his, one of his latest films is, is Snowden. Again, going against the grain from the American political establishment. So his political views being so aligned with mine um, has kind of always had that attraction to me as a filmmaker. And then how can we talk about him without mentioning an American football classic, Any Given Sunday? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. an American football fan. Life is a game but, of inches. But, yeah. when, but when I watch that film, I feel like I, 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 it makes me feel so, so hyped that delivery in that particular speech that Manu, Manu mentioned, the inches speech. Willie Beeman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a wonderful film and not in his in his kind of political preachy mm -hmm. wheelhouse. And, and I understand he can, he can get preachy at times, but, you know, we don't have enough of that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. Film is, a, is an avenue to discuss all aspects of life and politics shouldn't be, shouldn't be um, off, limits. off limits. And he is brave enough to do that and has been brave enough since the 70s, you know? So, no, uh, he has been and always will be one of my favorite directors. All right. A very uh, controversial and bold pick by Chris. So next up, Manu, this is your final pick of favorite directors. So choose your weapons wisely. I watch too many movies. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I am actually like, like conflicted here because I, I have to 
you know, choose. It's like choosing your children. <laughs> but uh, I think for my third pick, I would have to go with uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, nice. Yeah, last year. Villeneuve. <laughs> Uh, I, I I knew uh, Villeneuve from, uh, of course, Blade Runner 2049 and uh, Prisoners and uh, Arrival. Uh, and then uh, when we started the pod last year, uh, Fabrice uh, suggested to me and Mike that we should watch uh, one of his earlier films, Incendie. So uh, Mike and I watched it and we were like, we need to do a pod about this movie. And it was this amazing, brutal story that spun three generations of a family and it just shook me to my core and it has one of the greatest endings that i have seen in a movie in quite some time and the way that it's all set up and that it all plays together it's done everything is done by a master craftsman and And I was so impressed with that movie and this was after seeing his his later work and, and and that weekend, I, I rewatched Incendie, and then I went and I watched his first film, which was Polytechnic, which he's following. Um, he's following. Uh, uh, it's a true story about a um, about a man that that uh, took a gun into a school and took the lives of of many women. He only killed women, and and uh, Villeneuve. The whole movie is in black and white, and we follow this horrible day, and and it's such. And it's such a gut-wrenching movie. But again, it's just done with so much mastery of all of the elements. And that was his first film. And and, and it's incredible to see his evolution. And, and I cannot wait to see what he does with Dune, which which I think is going to, to just keep pushing the boundaries of what he can do. He he's 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 so great at handling camera and the fact that Blade Runner 2049 is shot on a digital camera is is really something that that deserves unbelievable. It's it deserves it's so unbelievable. And and I think he, he has a really good way of choosing his actors and of working with his actors and of really getting the best performance out of them and I really think that he 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 he's not done. Like I've, like he's done a like I think Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing, and Hugh Jackman is great. I think uh, what's the other one? I think uh, Enemy, 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 Sicario. Yes, Sicario. That's another one. I, I remember when when I watched Enemy, you and I, me and Lupe, started talking about it in in our group chat because I was just it was such a good movie, and like that's the thing. Like he. He is so great at crafting these films, crafting these experiences, and drawing you into his world, into these characters. It's uh, no, it's he's 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 really really somebody that like uh, I I am in awe of of what he's capable of doing. That's that's an amazing pick, and he's somebody that definitely I think he's just gonna keep on going from strength to strength. I don't think he's he has never made a bad movie, and I just don't think he ever will. he's a type of filmmaker that I don't even think it's possible for him to make something that's not like superlative. So he's somebody that definitely in the future is going to be a legend. I just, it's just a matter of time to be sincere. So that's, that's an amazing pick. Um, So next up, uh, Adrian, this is your final pick. Uh, Choose wisely. (laughs) Okay. I had to rack my brain a little bit, but um, I started to think about the Truman show. And I looked up at the the authors, Peter Weir, and um, he also directed the Dead Poet Society mm-hmm. and Mosquito Coast. Oh, Captain, my Captain. 
Exactly. So I started thinking about, you know, the similarities between these. So you have Jim Carrey in the Truman Show and um, Robin Williams Williams in the prep school and then Harrison Ford um, in the Mosquito Coast. And all of these men have like sort of um, in different ways, uh, either a touch of madness or a touch of greatness or um, they have something else going on and they go through this um, just journey or something in the film that their experiences showcase. Um, So I just love those films. And I didn't realize he, he did a film in 2010 called The Way Back that I actually haven't seen. And I'm glad that we are talking about this because <laughs> I'll go look at that film now that because I love mm-hmm. the other ones. Amazing. Yeah. Truman oh. Show is underrated. I'll, I'll yeah. say it. It's Truman Show. Is so underrated. Good. Yeah. I'm not a big, uh, I know sacrilege, but I'm not a very big Jim Carrey fan. But um, yes, I, I absolutely Sorry, (laughs) it is what it is. But I absolutely love him in the Truman Show. He's amazing. He's amazing. All right. So, final pick. I saved the best for last. My hidden gem, my secret weapon, my final favorite director on my list of three is Catherine Bigelow, an absolute beast, a monster behind the camera. A master craftsman. She's uh, notable films that she's directed. My favorites of hers is The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit. She also directed Point Break. Um, she's just like so stylish. She's so like, there's some directors that when you see the films that they've made, you just feel like it's someone who's in so in total command of every aspect of the film. She has a particular style, this sort of like run and gun um, behind the, the, behind the uh, subject camera style. It's almost like she's, the, the, the filmer is a reporter in a war zone kind of thing. And it's not shaky camera, but it's handheld. So it has this, very visceral intensity to it. Um, it's very difficult to do because a lot of people tried to pull it off and it just comes off looking like, I don't know, some found footage, cheap stuff. But when she does it, it's almost chaotic, but at the same time, it's so controlled. And she is the only director who knows how to do this very well. And she's done it. Obviously, it fits perfectly when you're shooting a war film because it's almost like, a war correspondent is filming the action. But then she also employs it in a film that's like in an urban setting. So for example, in Detroit, she used that as well. And it just gave this sort of tense atmosphere, made it feel like a war was happening in the city and everyone was in danger. And um, she's she's absolutely phenomenal. She's a director that I just hope that, um, you know, we always talk about, female directors in filmmaking and how you know they're not given their just due or they're not given enough opportunities she's a director that i can't wait to see her get bigger and bigger you know movies like blockbuster movies i mean if she wants to do them she is such an incredibly versatile director as well she will be so good to do like anything like blockbuster like i see a lot of filmmakers who get to make big movies and I don't want to mention any names because at the Film Exiles, we're not about negativity. We're a very positive group, even though one of us is a supervillain called Toxic Doctor. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> did you forget who you're like sitting right next to right now? <laughs> but, 
but in but in all in all seriousness, there are a lot of directors, male and female, who get opportunities to make massive big budget films who cannot even carry her water, who can't be her assistant, who can't be her intern. I'm yeah, I'm that not, bullish on Catherine Bigelow. What about her second unit both. director? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's not pull any punches here. She is the greatest female director right, of, yeah. all of all time. Yeah, yeah. To be to, to, like, I, I've not seen a, a more versatile director. Like she, she goes and does Point Break, and then she goes and does her war films and her and Detroit, and then she goes and does a film like Strange Days, which mm-hmm. is like a a kind of um, futuristic uh, sci-fi, sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. She's incredible. She's incredible. absolutely, and she was a uh, she was married to Jim Cameron for yeah. a, for a minute. Yeah. So that's like a that was like the power couple to end all power. One of the greatest, yeah. you know, blockbuster filmmakers of all. Can't time. believe we've gone through yeah. this pod without mentioning without James mentioning Cameron. James, James Cameron. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So yeah, my final pick is Catherine Bigelow. Zero Dark Thirty is awesome, and Detroit it's, is amazing. And Detroit is so like I was so furious that it was denied. Academy and Oscar recognition. And the only reason why it was denied that was for political reasons, not to get too deep into As it. All things um, are in I was so disappointed because that, that movie was about my favorite movie of the year. Uh, so I, also, I was I was also glad that we got to see John Boyega act. It was it was act, really, he was so good in that. Was so good in that. He's not just some you know comedic goofball type of actor he can do serious dramatic stuff and you also have to give um catherine bigelow credit for casting him having the vision to see he could do that and then directing and bringing that dramatic performance out of him she's she's absolutely incredible okay so to recap so far um Chris, which directors did you select as your favorites so my favorite director of all time came in at number one uh, Chris Nolan. My second favorite was Taken. <laughs> That's neither. Um, I didn't go with Scorsese. My fourth and fifth favorite directors of all time, Clint Eastwood and Oliver Stone. Nice. Manu, give us a recap of the directors that you picked. Uh, my first pick was uh, David Fincher. Uh, my second pick was Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, and my third pick was Denis Villeneuve. Nice. Adrian, who did you yeah. pick? Uh, my first pick by far and away was Zack Snyder. And nice. after that, um, Kenneth Branagh and Peter Weir. Nice. And for me, I picked Guy Ritchie, M. Night Shyamalan, and Catherine Bigelow. So now that we're done with favorite directors, let's get an opportunity to pick a legendary director, someone who's iconic, mythic in status, who may not be our favorite, but we respect so much that we feel like, you know, we need to give them, you know, a bit of our time. Um, Adrian, would you like to start us off with a legendary director that you'd like to talk about? Sure. I want to talk about Rob Reiner, who did Stand By Me and Misery and Princess Bride and A Few Good Men. Right? And um, And I just... met Sally. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> all right, Matthew. All right, we get it. It's your favorite rom com. <laughs> it's not my favorite, but it's such a. Good, I'm sorry. Go on. Carry on, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Like I, I, I just, I still absolutely love Princess Bride. Quoted all the time. I still remember, you know, being impacted by 
the wit and the humor and the dialogue and the sword fighting and, and just all of that. And then a few good men is just a solid, solid drama, solid suspense, you know, just hits you. It just was so great. So Rob Reiner. I, I, I comic line. Truth, love, faith. Truth, love, faith. You can't handle you the can't truth. You can't handle the truth. Yeah. <laughs> written by Aaron Sorkin. A Few Good Men was written. Really? By, yeah, Aaron Sorkin wrote A Few Good Men. It was actually, wow. uh, he actually wrote it as a play, and then they turned it into a movie. Into a movie. Yeah. Amazing. And and the director, amazing. 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 Um, yeah, that's that's an, that's an incredible an incredible pick. Manu, um, your turn. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, um, there was this movie that was announced that was supposed to come out. Uh, I, I don't think it was ever released, but uh, there was a lot of talk about how it mirrored uh, an old Japanese film uh, by Kurosawa called Seven Samurai. Mm. Uh, so hearing about this film that I was really looking forward to and that I'm still looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if anybody knows what happened to this movie, please, like, you know, point me in the right direction. But because uh, you say release it. Yeah, that would be great, because I, I remember there were there were trailers for this movie. There was there were posters for this movie. There was actually a poster for this movie that resembled. Uh, a poster from Seven Samurai, uh, which is the story about a, a group that is put together to defeat a great evil that is coming to to uh, to bring uh, all kinds of nastiness upon a population. Uh, and um, uh, so I digress. Uh, so, <laughs> so I went I went back and I watched um, and I watched Seven Samurai and I was completely blown by it it's in it's it's in black and white but it didn't bother me at all it's such a wonderful beautiful story the use of shadows is amazing the characters are really great and and like and it's it's incredible to see that you know like to today you can still go back to this movie and like retrofit it to fit our current issues and our current um, situations. Uh, uh, luckily, uh, even though we didn't get that particular movie, uh, Antoine Fuqua got to do Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, which uh, which took a which. Uh, which basically remade that movie, but as a Western. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but that, that movie is fantastic. Fuqua is another director that almost made my list. Uh, he's, he's great as well. But uh, I would definitely say Kurosawa is, is, is a legendary director. Uh, even though I've only seen Seven Samurai, I've heard so much about him, so much about his work. And uh, now that we've done this, now I, I, I am obligated to go back and, and watch the rest of his films. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, his his influence on cinema is immeasurable. Like I always say, like, if you look at obviously we know like Zack Snyder is heavily influenced by him. So whenever people see Zack Snyder scenes and they see like rain or fire or uh, wind, Kurosawa always said that he never shot action scenes plainly. Like we see a lot of action scenes these days and they may be good but they tend to be boring or well, something that kurosawa did was he always had some element surrounding the action just to to add more movement to add more dimension and more depth to it uh to it than just you know the usual and it's influenced a lot of films even the recent hobbs and shaw uh, the director david lich talked about how his action scenes in third act uh were influenced 
by Kurosawa's style of shooting action, which he pioneered and introduced uh, to the world. So um, I'll go ahead and talk about my uh, legend, which would be Sergio Leone. And uh, Sergio Leone is the director of uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and A Fistful of Dollars. That trilogy of uh, the Lone Rider uh, movie starring Clint Eastwood as this mythical, almost supernatural, Western badass cowboy. Um, it came at a time in which the Western genre was dying out. And give you one last jolt of life one, one final hurrah one final hurrah and these are masterpieces they're classics the way he combines score with action with cinematography and storytelling and quirky humor but really intense and visceral danger in a very stylish way was something that had never been seen before and it's something that if you go and revisit today, it's just as captivating as the day that, you know, our, our you know, parents, you know, saw those films that were so captivated by them. Like a lot of a lot of films that we see today, when you see the way they blend in, like, you know, music, those sort of like iconic sweeping scores, the way they frame um, heroes, you know, in that sort of heroic pose, posing with guns and that sort of stuff, like, a lot of that comes from comes from his films, and he was the one that made Clint Eastwood become a legend. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I wouldn't have one of my favorite directors if With, not for if not for Sergio Leone's, Sergio Leone's influence. Uh, his, his influence, and he just made you know his hero so badass mm -hmm. and so cool, and. Clint Eastwood was able to carry that into like you know his Dirty Harry films <laughs> and carry that forward, and we see that influence trickled down to our modern day heroes. That's even how you got people like uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was a was an 80s interpretation of the Dirty Harry character, the badass cool guy who would take on like all the enemies in the world and still be okay. Um, so Sergio Leone is, is a director that I'd like, you know, people to, to pay attention to. If you haven't seen the films that I mentioned, please go check them out. Trust me, like you will not be disappointed at all. Uh, Chris, uh, would you like to talk about a legend in filmmaking? Yes, um, there can only be one for me and it's Ridley Scott. The guy has made so many films, but not just of any old quality. He has made so many films of the highest standard. He's been making top quality movies since the 70s, right? So Alien is the first one that, you know, his first big blockbuster that comes to mind. So that was in 79. Then after in the 80s, just a couple of years later in 82, you get Blade Runner. And then, and then you go forward and you've got classics like Thelma and Louise. And then you go even more forward into another decade and you've got Gladiator with Russell Crowe and Hannibal. So you go from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and you're getting classic films from him. Kingdom and Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut, is 
a masterpiece, like a truly incredible, epic adventure set in the past, which is, again, something that he's really good with and he's done with Robin Hood and, as I mentioned earlier, Gladiator, G.I. Jane, um, American Gangster, like Prometheus. The guy is just a monster. (laughs) His body of work is a rival. Just go through his filmography and... It doesn't even look real. It's just, you can't imagine that one man has done all of this work. And even The Martian is one of my favorite films of the last few years. Um, And then you you think, okay, this man has been working over the course of, you know, four decades. He's got 51 director's credits. That means he's been making films like every couple of years every year every year he's he's churning every year he's churning a film out Mm -hmm. and you know how how um taxing emotionally physically it is to make one film Mm -hmm. of a high you know high caliber blockbuster film like most most directors make one like and we're talking about high level directors Mm -hmm. here most high level directors make one film every three years takes two years to make uh you know from pre-production through to post-production that's a very fast turnaround. And, and that's two a, years two, two years of fast turnaround most people make in three years this guy is churning them out and the names we've mentioned they're not like fluff pieces these are monster movies and they are he's churning them out every year almost every year this guy uh, I, I just have nothing but respect for him. Agreed. He, he, maybe all of his films aren't my favorite, but you t- take a look at his top 10 films, I will, I will put them against any director. Amazing. He is amazing. Amazing. Um, is there any other, I mean, because there's so many legends, is there any other any other uh, director that, that anyone wants to talk about, a legend, um, before we move on? Uh, I'd like to bring up George Lucas really quickly. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars. Uh, I'm sorry. Please hold your tomatoes. Uh, uh, I, but uh, I'm not a huge fan of 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 the Star Wars films. But I I you can't deny the impact that they've had, uh, and not only on filmmaking. Uh, there's a lot of stories of people that have turned to science and uh, have become more interested in in uh, in technology and and more sci-fi because of his Star Wars movies. You can say that uh, he made it. Uh, he made the. He made. Um, he made space uh, more accessible to to a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have been uh, interested in it. And I think that um, I just wanted to mention him real quick. Can I jump in as well? Because what he's done with the pushing forward of digital film as well. Like I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I prefer the aesthetic of of filming on film, but what he was able to do with uh, digital technologies and and kind of contribute to the proliferation of of the use of digital cameras has given many, many, many budding directors a chance to create film. Um, So he's a legend on two counts. First of all, from what he did technically and also from what he did with Star Wars, I think. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Now? Yeah. (laughs) As far as um, Lucas goes and telling, you know, we think of space travel as this futuristic kind of thing, but then he set Star Wars in the past. And then I remember overhearing him talk about, you know, to 
um, about his films and about that, you know, to, to even though it was this these strange places to, you know, keep the a measure of familiarity with it. And I think that's some weird way why it why it all sort of worked. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very uh, that's a very interesting point. Um, George Lucas, definitely a legend. Kurosawa, definitely a legend. Ridley Scott, definitely a legend. And Adrian, who was yours again? Rob Reiner. Yes, Reiner. Definitely. All right. So if we were to make the uh, film Exiles uh, Mount Rushmore, I think those are the heads we'll carve up there. (laughs) All right. So moving on, we've talked about really popular big directors. Why don't we give a little bit of shine to the little guy? So now in this section, I want you guys to pick an up and coming director who is a director that you feel we should keep an eye on, want to watch, a horse that you're going to bet all your money on to come out on top in the future. And we'll start with Adrian, because we're gentlemen, ladies first. <laughs> okay, well, I um, I have two directors I'd like to mention really quick. One is um, Dom Karakowski, who directed the Tolkien film. I thought that he beautifully captured and dignified the quiet moments in the internal life of the characters. So I'd be happy to watch that again anytime. And then also um, Vincent D'Onofrio, I'm saying it wrong, D'Onofrio, who has been an actor and teaches acting. But then with the kid, I thought that he really showcased the performances by the actors and really lets them show what they can do. So I'd love to see that again. So um, Dom Karakowski and Vincent D'Onofrio. Nice. And we have a review, a little discussion of uh, Tolkien. So if you're interested in, you know, a little bit of uh, talk about that and you want to know if you want to watch a movie, watch our review and I hope, you know, that entices you a little bit more. Um, So Manu, Give us a, a director to watch for in the future. Well, since Adrian picked, I'm going to pick two, too, because I'm petty. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first one is uh, David Robert Mitchell. He's most known for uh, It Follows. Uh, it was a horror movie that came back out in 2014. Uh, I, I think that that's a spectacular movie, but uh, uh, I uh, I got to know him last year, I guess, uh, according to Chris. Uh, <laughs> uh, because he came out with uh, Under the Silver Lake that starred Andrew Garfield. And uh, it's a movie that I really, really love. And uh, what I like about him is that there is a definite, like, even though he's only done two uh, two movies, uh, there's a definite style to him. You know, he you can tell that it's him behind the camera. Mm-hmm. He has a very specific style to how he shoots. He's a li- he's weird. Uh, he's 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 weird. Under the Silver Lake is definitely a weird ass movie. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a de- but but there's there's so many things in that movie that I adore. Uh, and and I really excited to see what he's gonna do next because I think that. Whatever it is, it's going to be really quirky. It's going to be very different. It's going to be very weird. And I think that, you know, that's good sometimes. And um, my second pick is uh, Ryan Coogler. Uh, I think uh, Creed is probably one of my favorite films that's come out in the last five or six years. Uh, I think that he he shoots so well. Like, I love the way that his films look, uh, whether uh, it was uh, his indie stuff or uh, even um, Creed that's like a little bit bigger. Uh, and I think that he has such a great style and such a great uh, energy that he brings to his movies. And um, 
I, like like Lupe just said earlier, we're a very positive pod, so saying negative things is not something that we tend to do a lot. But um, I love Michael B. Jordan, but he's not the greatest actor out there. But I think that uh, I think that Kugler is able to get to to use him better than anybody else has been to this point. And you can tell that there's a difference between when he's working with Kugler than when he's working with somebody else. And I think that 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 shows that he that that shows that he is able to get great things out of his actors. Uh, and even even Stallone, he got a, an Oscar nominating performance out of Stallone in Creed as well. So I'm really excited to see what he does next. Um, I'm. Uh, even even Black Panther, which I'm not uh, I'm not as high on as 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 many people, uh, I think that he he is able to do something that a lot of MCU directors have not been able to do, which is bring a lot of his own style to the film. Uh, he brought a lot of his own people that worked on uh, his other projects with him. Uh, his costume designer, he brought his uh, he brought um, I forgot his name. Who does the score again? Goranson. He brought Goranson. Uh, him and Goranson have been together since they were in college. Uh, he was able to bring him along, and Gorson has given us one of the best scores that we've gotten in years. And and again, that is under it, it, that is in large part thanks to Kugler and just his handling of the material and being able to be brave enough and and just to do what he does. And I'm I'm really excited to see whatever he does next. All right, that's those are very good picks. Uh, so next up, Chris, can you give us a up and coming director to look out for? Well, my up-and-coming director is a very well-known name, but not in directing. Um, I'm going to pick Casey Affleck. Mm. Um, what he has—he's only had uh, two feature-length films. One in 2010, "I'm Still Here," and you would think that okay, if he's been doing it since 2010, he's not. How can he be up and coming? But he hasn't done anything since then, up until. 2019's A Light of My Life, um, which is a story about a father and a daughter in a kind of apocalyptic future where there's a plague and there's no women and he has to kind of look after his daughter and it's his uh, kind of responsibility to, to ensure that she's safe and survives. Um, me and Lupe actually did a pod on, on that film and it is truly stunning. His cinematography was subtle, but very powerful. His writing, and everyone will be aware of the Affleck family's uh, capability in, in writing and acting. He acted in his own film. I think he is, I would like to see what he can do purely behind the camera without the responsibilities of being on screen. Um, and he actually has a film uh, coming up, well, it's, it's been announced. It's called Far Bright Star, which is uh, set in 1916. It's about uh, an aging cavalryman who leads a team of men to hunt down uh, a Mexican revolutionary by the name of Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa. And, how, and so after an ambush um, in which most of the men have killed are killed, the cavalrymen must struggle to survive in the desert. Now, that's just a small synopsis of a film that's coming out in the future. But what kind of interests me is Affleck, who filmed this um, this previous film, A uh, Light of My Life, has managed, so he's had one film recently, 
he's managed to cast Joaquin Phoenix as the star of his film. So, and we know, we all know that Joaquin Phoenix doesn't pick any old garbage. Mm -hmm. So there's something there. Joaquin sees something in Casey. I see it as well. And uh, I'm putting my money on him as being, as following in the footsteps of his brother as being a stunning, stunning director to look up to the future. Okay. All right. That's an interesting, good pick. Now you guys, you had, you know, your picks of directors, you call them up and coming, but they've all made Hollywood movies. Um, so in my eyes, in my eyes, they're already successes. They're already, they're already up there. So I'm going to pick a real dark horse. I'm going to pick, go out on the limb. All right. This is a big gamble. This I'm going to pick a limb of a giant. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm going to pick someone who has never directed a feature film. Okay, and my pick is Lisa Joy Nolan, and Lisa Joy Nolan is the wife and life partner of Jonathan Nolan, who is uh, Christopher Nolan's brother, and she is one of the showrunners and writers of the Westworld TV show that's on HBO. If you don't know about Westworld, it's this very intense, dramatic complex, sophisticated uh, sci-fi Western. Uh, it follows in, you know, the, the heritage and lineage of the intelligent blockbusters that Christopher Nolan has done. Stuff like Inception, stuff like uh, Memento, which is smaller, but stuff like, you know, Prestige. Um, it has that same sort of complexity, that sort of intelligence. You're watching something that has, you know, that excitement and largeness of a blockbuster but then has the complexity and sort of nuance of a small indie art house like sci-fi film and she wrote a script uh over you know very many years i think she said it took her half a decade to write the script and she's been perfecting it ever since but it won an award to get on a Hollywood's uh, blacklist. And this is a list of a few of the best scripts that, you know, are in Hollywood in a particular year. And the film, the script got bought by uh, Warner Brothers. And it's, she's been, you know, picked as the director. Uh, she's pitched the film. She's done everything. She has um, Hugh Jackman and Re Rebecca Ferguson on deck as her leads. Um, and I'm very excited. It's, about, it's a future, you know, sort of sci-fi film set in Miami about uh, memories and memory extraction and that sort of thing. So I've, see, I've heard her speak uh, about uh, the episode of Westworld that she shot and she's a super intelligent, highly capable woman and um, I can't wait to see what she does. I'm telling you guys, like, you heard it here first. Lisa <laughs> Joy. Like, when you see her movies, the last bit. Lisa Joy Nolan. Oh, Nolan. Talent is not transmitted by blood, or in this case, by... Marriage. <laughs> she just, like... Don't don't take away her credit just because nah, she's, see. you know, married to, you know, she in her own. As a matter of fact, I think she's actually like smarter than Jonathan Nolan. 
Like that's that's my opinion from hearing them speak together and seeing how much reverence he has for her. I think she's actually even more of a capable filmmaker than Jonathan Nolan, who was like one of the best in the world. So, you know, I've gone on too long already about Miss Joy, but in the future when she's doing big things, we're going to be like, Lupe called it, all right? <laughs> give me the credit, okay? When she gets her Oscar, did she give it to me first? Exactly. I should hand it works it like that. <laughs> so um, that that is that is my list. So let's let's do a quick recap of our favorite, our legendary, uh, iconic filmmaker that we picked, and our up and comer. So for me, I picked Guy Ritchie. I picked uh, M Night Shyamalan. I picked Catherine Bigelow as my three favorite directors. For my legendary uh, filmmaker, I picked Sergio Leone. And then for my up-and-comer, I picked Lisa Joy Nolan. Uh, Chris, can you tell us uh, what you picked? Yep, so a little recap. My favorite director of all time was my first pick, Christopher Nolan. Um, my other two were Clint Eastwood and Oliver Stone, three of my favorite directors of all time. And uh, my legend was Ridley Scott. Big respect, Ridley. And my open comma is Casey Affleck. All right. Uh, Adrian, could you give us a recap of uh, the team of directors that you picked? Sure. Um, I mentioned uh, the Zack Snyder, uh, the Kenneth Branagh, and Peter Weir. And then as my legendary pick, I brought up Rob Reiner. And then my up and coming directors to watch, I mentioned Dom Karakowski and Vincent D'Onofrio. Nice. And Manu, could you give us a recap of your selections? Uh, I had uh, David Fincher, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, as my three directors. Uh, legendary, I had Kurosawa. Uh, and uh, upcoming, I had uh, David Robert Mitchell and Ryan Coogler. And I'm still not over the fact that Chris chose the guy who directed I'm Still Here as his upcoming guy. <laughs> have, you, have you seen I'm Still Here, Chris? Like, for real? Have you seen that? You know, it almost <laughs> ruined Joaquin Phoenix's career. You do know that, right? <laughs> hey, you watch, you watch uh, what he did with um, Light of My Life, and then he, he is... He is an open comedy director. Do, do you know what? Well, you guys, you guys pick directors who have already arrived. At least I picked the director who has only done a TV, a TV Hold episode. It might have been the best how, TV how episode. Many people, how many people? He so, hasn't even done a feature. How many people do you think saw that TV episode versus how many people saw Light of My Life? That's a good quote. That's actually, oh, he's got you there. He's got you there. It's 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 not the same thing. <laughs> let's, let's, we're, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, all right. So so I mean, do you guys like? I mean, the directors you picked. Do you have anything to say about the whole your team in general? Anybody want to chime in? Uh, oh, well, just... we, all, we also mentioned Lucas and Cameron were floating around in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited that we did mention Cameron a bit more. I think yeah. his, um, what he's, his role in the development of cinema has, is, needs to be respected, and that's why I give him a shout-out there. As far as my overall list is, I'm 
they're like, no, oh, the only person that took a name off me is, is Truth who picked Zack Snyder. Everyone else, I got my first choice. Well, I think for me, it was just a really hard exercise because there's there's just so many great directors and, and I think that we've honestly, like, I think this is good because it like reminds you just how lucky we are to have so many great artists working and giving us great films and just, just so many great things to talk about and to discuss and to analyze. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I couldn't bring up Ron Howard, which I was another guy that I absolutely adore and that I, I think that he doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, I think we brought up Scorsese really quickly. Uh, and, and there's just there's just so many great people out there that are just doing such great work. And Christopher McQuarrie is another one that I think is going to do some great things in the future as well. Uh, and, you know, I think that... Um, uh, like this exercise was really difficult to like just pick uh, just three. Yeah, and also for our upcomers, we had we had the pleasure of having um, David Raymond on our on our podcast. I really enjoyed the interview, uh, and if you guys haven't heard the interview that uh, was hosted by Manu and Mike, and Mike, uh, you should you should really listen to it. Very interesting guy, very bright guy, uh, very driven. Um, and I really can't wait to see how his career unfolds. Yeah, um, Manu, how was that experience? Honestly, it was it was unreal. It's it's one of those. I think it's one of the things that we've done on this platform that I'm the most proud of. Uh, him coming on and just being able to talk about making a movie. Like he, this man, made a movie, and we got to talk to him about his experience making a movie with Henry yeah, Cavill and, 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 he was, and Sir. He was literally Kingsley. making it. <laughs> and, and, hanging out of a car with, in the snow, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, hanging out with Sir with Sir Kingsley, it's just yeah. it was it was it's just you know, I mean like you know a lot of the actors that are in the Stanley Tucci, a lot of those actors like I've been watching them for years, and this guy got to work with them and he got to talk to me about working with them and I got to share that with you guys and with the rest of our listeners. I mean, like that that was that was that was something that really. It, it was honestly it it, it uh, the right word to use was it was really inspiring to hear about his journey and how he got to where he got to and it kind of it's kind of pushed me in a way that I want to do more like I want to be able to go out there and do that too. Yeah, I, I really love the interview and look forward to seeing his his career unfold. Yeah, um, in, in terms of uh, my, my list, I'm very happy with you know my picks. Uh, interestingly. Each of you stole one from me because I went last. <laughs> Snyder, Nolan, and Fincher. <laughs> but you know what? But I'm I'm very happy with the directors that I picked. As I said, there's so many great directors. Mm-hmm. Even if people had listed ten directors, I would still have been happy to pick other directors. We have to give each of them their just due. They make different films. They have different voices. It's very difficult to rank them and see if this guy is better than this guy because they're all they're all beautiful, unique snow, snowflakes, you know. Um, and and I say that you know with with all sincerity. Um, in terms of uh, upcoming directors, I only picked one, but someone that you know we didn't talk about that I think people should watch out for is Sam Ismail who has only done TV stuff. He's done Mr. Robot, which a lot of people know, and he's also done Homecoming. We have a podcast on Homecoming, and Homecoming is probably, it's it ranks as one of the best things ever made on television. Yeah, keep an eye out out for him. I can't wait to- add that he's made probably one of the most bizarre 
and uh, uh, just out there romantic comedies that I've ever seen. It's called Comet, and it stars Justin Justin Long and uh, I can't remember her name. Um, the the lead girl from Shameless, the U.S. version. I can't remember her name right now, but it's it's such a bizarre romantic comedy. He just because he just can't do anything like anybody else, you know. Like he just it has to he's be. Just, he's- unusual and unique and yeah. just him yes yeah, so he's definitely an auteur yeah like, definitely an auteur comic filmmaker you're following this relationship but it's not it's in a non-linear way and it's just it's just incredible he, he also writes that he he wrote the movie as well and, and like just for an exercise about what it's like to be in his mind i definitely think that is worth checking out all right cool cool so um there you have it, guys. That was awesome. I really, I really had a lot of fun with that. Um, let's get some some goodbyes. This is the bittersweet part of, of the podcast. So, Adrian, uh, where can we find you on the interwebs? And where can we talk to you? Well, because I mentioned The Truman Show, I'm going to have to say, in case I don't see you, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at, at Love Faith. Nice. Uh, Manu, where can we find you? You can find me at Man United 0710. Very cool. And Chris, where can we find your toxicity? You can find <laughs> me on Twitter and on Vero and talk to me about your favorite directors uh, on at Vinaldo7. All right. And I am yours truly. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Live Love Lupe. And you can find me on Vero at Live Love Lupe Lupe because a double scoop of chocolate is good for you. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm really glad that we did this episode because at the heart of everything that we talk about is the filmmaker, is the director. And uh, we're glad that we're able to give them a lot of shine. So goodbye, guys. Talk to you soon in another episode of the Film Exiles podcast.